0: Lob Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. law, new world order, FEMA camps, guillotines, aliens, UFOs, fallen angels, Anunnaki, their earth will never be the same again. I think
1: Alarms are ringing loud,
0: you really seem to hear, it's a minute before you die, it's turning The owls of Patmos too Tell them about your future Yet yeah, you're the ones he's speaking to Only those with discernment Not blinded by this world Can see what is the obvious Turn into one, the final eye does what he thinks is right in his own eyes ignore the truth leaders talk about future war it's now just to push away judgment is about to on man only the judge can stand the day men led by evil spirits that come from the other side lead It's all written in His Holy Word.
2: Heavenly Father, we praise your name. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all of our trials. We thank you for all of our tribulations. We thank you for all of the things that we have to go through in order to become what we need to be, to be able to, to serve you in the most incredible way that um, that could only have been um, thought of through you and through Psalm 139, verse 16. Father, we just praise you and thank you for all the aspects of our lives. We Many of us are going through some pretty challenging things but yet we know and in advance we know that these things are going to ultimately work out together for the good for each of us uh, particularly in light of the things that are are almost certainly in store for us in this next year and the years to follow if we're here that long and we pray in the name of Jesus, Father, through your mercy that we won't be here that long. We pray that if there is at all any way that we can be um, evacuated from this alien demon infested rock and before, uh, you know, uh, as part of the barley harvest, um, we pray that that can happen as soon as possible. At the same time, though, Father, we also ask you to please use us in whatever way you would and in, in all of your loving kindness on behalf of the mercies of Uh, your tender mercies on those uh, for those who are here on the earth who maybe are real real close to, to awakening and giving their lives totally over to you or that need to draw in closer to you uh, maybe they're getting closer a little bit more they're awakening but they're just not quite where they need to be father we don't want a single one of our fellow brothers and sisters to miss the opportunity that you have laid before us as part of the barley harvest as part of the first fruits uh, rescue mission and we, we certainly wouldn't want any of them to have to be left behind for even that uh, because we recognize very um, acutely that uh the things that are going to be happening after that event are going to be pretty ugly they're going to be pretty rotten they're going to be pretty, very very not good and um and we wouldn't wish those on our worst enemies let alone our fellow brothers and sisters but we praise you for your mercy because your mercy endures forever and if it wasn't for your mercy that um that that second chance that third chance the multiple chances the multiple opportunities that you have laid before your believers uh, wouldn't be, um, you know, there for us to partake of. And we just praise you for being so incredibly merciful, even though there there will be so many that go through some awful hard times uh, between the barley harvest and the wheat harvest uh, at the day of the Lord. But yet at the same time, Father, how incredibly merciful are you to allow that period of time to even exist in our timeline so that so many of us would have that opportunity to be able to be on our knees, seeking you fervently and also praying for others as we await our uh, opportunity to stand before you. And now to him, our Lord Jesus, who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless someday before the presence of your glory, Father, with exceeding joy. And to you, Father God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this thing is a hanger on her. Hallelujah. Um, uh, so um, I, I was told by several people that I need to buck up and be ready for the possibility that um, this flu cold, uh, don't know what else to call it. I'll just call it a flu cold, um, is uh, going to hang on for anywhere for two, maybe three, maybe four, possibly four weeks. Uh, the fatigue will continue easily for the four-week period of time, and the intermittent coughing uh, will also, uh, you know, ha- persist for lack of a better term for up to three, even four weeks. So, I have braced myself for it. Praise God! Thank you, Jesus, and I'm I'm trying to just you know get past it. Um, you know, you, what you can't do in, I, I, you know, I, I have a tendency towards this, um, and that is you can't dwell on it. You know, you just kind of got to get up, shake it off, you know, whatever it is you got to do, you got to do and keep on going. Praise Jesus. So anyway, so we're going to, um, as promised, uh, as of, uh, you know, the 27th, I wanted to get back on a normal, uh, radio show schedule and not miss any programs and, you know, just, um, treat life as normal as it possibly can be. And I've also gotten some uh, words of, I don't know if you want to call it a word of wisdom or if it was just an imparting of of the, uh, you know, something that the Lord imparted upon them. But I've been hearing from more and more different people that um, if you're one of the fortunate ones to have gotten some version of this flu cold thing, uh, that's going around it's not normal by the way it's definitely not normal i'm not saying it has anything to do with covid i'm not saying it's any permutation or any variant thereof i don't believe that for a second but i I can say this is that it it is powerful it is remarkably powerful <coughs> excuse me and um and and um uh the impartations that I have received from various believers uh is that they were told that uh you know in the spirit or at least they believe they were told in the spirit that um this some of us are being um uh, you know allowed to go through this because it's building up our immune system for the things that are coming around the corner now um now i i don't have any evidence of this the only evidence that i have seen which really is an evidence, it's still anecdotal, although given what has happened historically over the last several years, it's, to me it seems a little bit more than just anecdotal. Uh, And that is that, uh, you know, we definitely have the Sears thing that they're doing the tabletop exercise over uh, that is supposed to be what they call an enterovirus, and it's supposed to go after our children more than anything, which is just awful and just sick and twisted and horrible, and we're just going to have to deal with it. Praise God, and thank you for the power of the Lord and the power in the name of the Lord Jesus, hallelujah, because so many of us who would otherwise be very, very negatively affected by that will be able to command it to get out. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray your holy power, your holy authority, your holy fire around all of us, around our loved ones, around our children, Father, for the days that we have coming ahead of us, and that your divine protection and your protection of your angels will be in our midst, and it will be part of our daily walk, and we will be immune to the things that are coming upon this earth, as is promised in so many places of your scripture, Father God. And we thank Thank you for the times and the trials and the tribulations that we're going through now that we can be spared uh, the worst part of that which is to come. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the forces to be, the evil ones, uh, seem to be pointing towards 2024, 2025, as when the, supposedly, when the enterovirus, uh, the next uh, evil uh, uh, um bioweapon is to be released upon mankind. However, I really don't uh, hold credence uh, and and give any credibility whatsoever to um, any times, timelines, dates. It doesn't matter to me. Um, uh, As a matter of fact, I have had a surprisingly large number of people tell me that they have had it impressed upon their hearts that we're going to get lambasted with some really ugly stuff here right around the corner here in 2023. Now, there's no specificity. I've heard things like, oh, there's another pandemic coming and blah, 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 and that kind of stuff. But um, uh, you know, as far as that goes, I, that's about it. I haven't heard anything from anyone or any of the sources of information that I tend to monitor uh, that has any any uh, specificity regarding other things that are that are coming our way. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that have historically, for more than a decade and in some cases longer uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, predicted, if you want to call it, uh, they say their sources, they like to use the term source, um, that there are, are a myriad of different things that are heading our way, uh, over the next year. Um, I don't monitor them. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my fellow brothers and sisters who have their own specific callings. They uh, have uh, connections or whatnot with uh, you know three-letter agencies. They have insider information, whistleblowers that they talk to, and that's fine. Um, it is it's it's my own personal choice not to um give credibility to that, not because I don't believe that they're given good information, because I do believe that they're given a good good information. It's not that. It's just that I am a um risk management professional and as a risk management professional I have to calculate and you know qualitatively calculate um probability, likelihood, things like that. And in order to do that, you have to look at the history. Okay, you have to look at, you know, how many times have they been right over the last, you know, eight years or three years or five years or whatever the case is. And if your answer is that they haven't been, you know, it doesn't, you know, they may claim that such and such has happened. But at the end of the day, if I don't see it, then that's okay. They can claim And God bless them. I hug them. I give them a holy kiss. I praise Jesus for their work. But at the same time, I don't allow it to affect me or any of my choices in my life, nor do I feel uh, compelled in any way uh, to warn people of those things either. Because if the historical um, probability is such that what they've been telling people over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, hasn't been coming true or hasn't been provable, then it, you know, I, like I said, I don't hold anything against them. And I don't suggest even that, um, that their sources are bad sources or anything. It's just that one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that when you are getting information from whistleblowers, okay, when you are getting information from three-letter agencies, when you are getting information from insiders, we'll say, okay, one of the problems with trying to add you know get credibility dollars from that those sources of information is that they are operating within the realm of darkness Um, it doesn't mean that they're dark people and they're evil or they worship Satan or any of that kind of stuff but they're working in the realms of the three-letter agencies and these are not especially good kind-hearted, Jesus-filled people, by and large, okay? And and even if they were, really, when you think about it, the good, kind-hearted, Jesus-filled, anointed uh, people of God also have a really bad track record uh, for uh, being accurate over the last several years, okay? Now, some of them uh, what they say is metaphorical and high level enough that e- it's reasonable to believe with all of your heart that it will eventually come true, because it's talking about things above and not on, not about things of this world. Praise God. Um, but I'm talking about you know events, you know something really bad happening in February or something really really bad happening in in some particular part of 2023, and then actually explicit, you know. Um, Naming it, you know, saying that this, that, and the other thing is going to happen, uh, you know, in the first quarter of 2023 or whatever the case is, um, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I I know that that's attractive to people. I I totally get it. Um, I've had so many people over the last 11 years. You know, Johnny, you've got to hear this, Johnny. You've got to, hear. Johnny. You've got to hear this, and I don't even so much as feel the tiniest, weeniest, little, biddiest bit led to listen to it at all because the probability and the likelihood um, – uh, the qualitative probability and likelihood of that those events occurring based upon the history of those sources – is really bad, so then at that point it's kind of like, well, you know, why give it any attention at all? Why do I need to put in my kitty in my bag of uh, of understandings uh, any information that has a historical uh, trend that it that has uh, pretty much almost completely near zero in its credibility. All right, it, again, uh, this isn't about good, bad, ugly, indifferent, or whatever, but one of the things that we know from Robert Vandrius Mitchell, from Elena, and from those who are who were ra- born and raised in the Illuminati and horribly treated and had you know brought up in satanic ritual abuse, one of the things that we understand is that the, these entities, these people that are a part of that clique, Um, they are uh, they have a plan a a plan b a plan c a plan d a plan e you know it's never ending it's just like this loop the loop never ending uh you know uh portfolio of things that they're planning on doing and they listen they monitor what you know and what why would we think that they wouldn't be listening to the people that we love with all of our heart, our fellow believers that are getting information from them. Why would we think in a millisecond that these entities of darkness wouldn't be listening? to those sources. You know, why would we think for 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 even the tiniest nanosecond that these people would not be monitored by the three-letter agencies? Just, you know, if they're out there whistleblowing with, you know, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, then wouldn't they also be monitored by the three-letter agencies as well? You know, of course they would. Of course they would. And what we know um, from those of uh, our our fellow brothers and sisters that have come on this program an awful lot is that they they execute upon their plan B. They execute upon their plan C. They execute upon their plan F or whatever it is um, routinely because they monitor (coughs) – excuse me. (coughs) Oh, isn't it fun? They monitor – um uh you know uh all the stuff we're talking about and I, you know and i think it's wonderful praise the lord and thank you jesus that so many people are waking up uh you know uh judge napolitano was talking on one of his programs the other day about how uh, you know, they have the ability to listen on a cell phone and a conversation around, you know, if a cell phone's anywhere near you, uh, that they can, you know, completely monitor all the things that are going on in the room in great detail, uh, even if the telephone is turned off. Well, okay, fine. But I've known that since like 19... Uh, Well, around 2001, I was aware of that because um, working in cybersecurity, I was aware that a particular crime family had uh, been um, rounded up. You know uh, so, uh, several I, I don't know the details about it. All I know is that the method that the that the three letter agencies had used in order to get the goods on the uh, crime families was they had listened in on their conversations uh, regardless of whether or not their phones were on or off. I knew that back in 2001, 2002. So if they had that, if they had have integrated that technology into the chipsets of the cellular phones as far back as 20 years ago, then you can only imagine what they're able to do right now. All right. So um, and and I have people all the time. Oh, I want to be off the grid. I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. I don't want. I don't want. I'm only going to use DuckDuckGo. I'm only going to use ProtonMail. And I'm thinking to myself, you're wasting your time. The problem is for any of us that are in the know, that are in the business, we already know that you're wasting your time. Okay, I don't care what you do. You can go out and get yourself Nord uh, VPN. You can hide electronically as much as you possibly can think of and use every uh, method you know known to the black ops or whatever to try to not be monitored. And forget it. Forget it. Forget it. They, they're they going to monitor you. They, it's already a done deal. It's already a case closed. The jury is dismissed, and there is no hiding from it. So you might as well just trust – The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, trust your heavenly Father. That's where we are in our walk right now when it comes to the biblical end times timeline. We're so far deep into the darkness right now, there is no hiding from it. So why hide from it? Use the power in the name of the Lord Jesus to rebuke it. Use the power in the name of the Lord Jesus and the holy fire of God to surround you. Use that power that you were given through the name of Jesus and use it wisely, use it powerfully, so that you can have real protection that transcends that which is uh technological in nature. Who cares? I don't care and plus the other thing is, you know, um they're not if they they're not really interested in Christians. You know, here's the thing. When you think about it, just use a little bit of common sense. Why would they care about Christians? They don't care about Christians. They're interested in all the other people. They're interested in anybody in anybody who, that, that offers a threat to their agenda. They're interested in, you know, to, to, the, to those of us who love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul. All, you know, they, when we are truly the types of Christians that we are commanded to be through the Scripture, We are absolutely zero threat to these entities. Okay, And and so then why would they bother to care to listen to anything that we have to say? Why would they monitor us in any sense of the word? They wouldn't. They don't care about us. What they care about is their agenda, executing their agenda, and anybody who stands in the way of their agenda. And that's pretty much the the essence of it all. So at the end of the day, why would they bother to even listen to you at all? They don't care about you. You are zero threat to them them. If you are proper, if you are godly, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you are truly full of the Holy Spirit and, and living your life as the Bible commands us to live, then you are absolutely less than zero threat to these entities, and they could care less uh, about you, okay? That, that it, it's to, to them, you're, you're utterly irrelevant, all right? Praise God. So why even concern yourself about it at all? It makes absolutely no sense at all. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Anyway, kids, are you ready for a couple of jokes? No! All right, kids, what do you what do you call the wife of a hippie? What do you call the wife of a hippie? Now, you know, you can you can think of like Cheech and Chong and stuff like that. Kind of get you, know, what, do you what what what, what I, I'm seeing somebody raise their hand over there. What do you think? Okay, I'll tell you. You call her Mrs. Hippie. Get it? Mrs. <coughs> Hippie. <Mississippi. coughs> That's pretty good, actually. Very clever. All right, praise God. I, you know, I would like to be able to do these programs without coughing, wheezing, sneezing, and every other thing under the sun. <coughs> but thank you, Jesus. In God's perfect timing, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Okay, what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? A hippo and a zippo. I don't know what a zippo is. Um, I don't know what a Zippo is, but um, what's the difference between a hippo and a Zippo? Oh, oh Zippo! Uh, that must be that lighter that's really popular in the United States military. Everybody has to have one of those when you're in the military, especially if you're on a ship because it has a little picture of your ship and USS blankety blank and blah blah blah. Wish I had mine. I bet you it was worth money. Not that I care, but you know, I, yeah, what do I care? You know? Oh goody! It's worth thirty dollars. Yahoo! Woohoo! All right. So, any what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? One is really heavy. Other is a little lighter. <laughs> a little lighter. You get it, kids? All hey! Right. All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. All right, kids. When did the duck wake up? At the quack of dawn.
1: <laughs>
2: At the quack of dawn. All right. I will take all three. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyway, um, let me think here. So uh, anyway, Happy New Year uh not that it's uh our our heavenly father's new year because it's not um, uh but uh happy new year to all of the listeners of this program um, i do indeed pray for every one of you regularly um, and um uh, and fervently, extra fervently for those of you who even so much as mention me in uh, to the Lord in prayer. Um, I, I I really, really lean in on that, and I pray that every single one of you makes the barley harvest. I pray that we are not subject to being here all that much longer. I do not know. None of us do. I I will admonish you uh, just from my own personal learning that if you're listening to somebody and you're hungry to go home, who isn't? Um, And you're listening to somebody out on the internetosphere and they're telling you that we are leaving really, really soon. All I would suggest is you take it with a grain of salt. And um, don't get a bee in your bonnet over it, because if you do, you're the likelihood. There's that probability and likelihood thing again, that you're going to be phenomenally disappointed, possibly jettisoned into a state of depression, which is a very dangerous state to be nowadays, uh, especially nowadays because it, uh, you know. It has a way of amplifying itself, uh, you know, over time. Uh, and, um, you know, because we live in a very dark time right now. We live in a super duper dark time. And the darker the time that we live in right now, of course, it adds insult to injury. And anything that is, uh, negative in its nature that's a part of our lives, particularly when it's associated with our soon departure, uh, that can really, really throw us, uh, into a, uh, highly negative state of mind and make us vulnerable uh, to depression anxiety and we 've got enough of that stuff to have to deal with right now, so I do highly recommend that any you know that if there is anything in your life, anyone that you are listening to, even if you love them with all your heart and you believe with all your heart that they're hearing from jesus implicitly every single day you can believe what you want to believe god bless you all i'm saying is please keep it at arm's length put it on a shelf and don't sell the farm all right praise god thank you jesus now could we leave That would be great if we did, uh, you know, but don't get all excited about it and start, you know, jumping for joy and, oh, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, because I'm telling you, folks, nobody, I don't know anybody that's been through more disappointment in regard to that particular topic than me. All right. And for over 11 years off and on. Okay, and I know a lot of people and I could sit here and just roll off the 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 names of them uh, that have fallen into that trap. And um, invariably, they also, too, uh, got into a deep, dark state of depression that lasted, you know, months months and uh it's just not a good place to be. It's not where you want to be in your walk. You want to be uh, you want to be striving to be full of joy, you want to be praising Jesus as much as you possibly can. You want to establish a level uh, not a level of but a a real trust in your heavenly Father, constantly recognizing that as you look back on your life, how many times has he You know, there's a saying, you know, my life is full of cataclysms that uh, have not come true. You know what I mean? We don't want to live like that, and we want to recognize and remember how many times our Heavenly Father has saved us. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about, uh, you know, um, lifted us up, prevented us from losing our jobs, prevented us from going through some really, really super-duper bad times, Um, you know, uh, saved, saved our our, our walks, our our, you know, the the daily experience of life, has been rescued multiple times by our heavenly Father, His angels, and and uh, heaven's power, on our behalf. So many times that we are very guilty of, quite honestly, forgetting or easily just not remembering all those times. And and I, I did like Chuck Misler said. Uh, He said you really need to start keeping a diary of all the things that the Lord has done for you. So when you have a little mini miracle or whatever happened in your life, you need to record it so you can go back and look at it. And I'm way overdue because I have a really, really big diary of things that God has done for me. Now, granted, unfortunately, there were some that I put into the diary that I thought were blessings at the time, but in fact were the opposite. They were they were me just about getting ready to get my block knocked off, but that's okay too because it's important to remember those as well. It keeps you on your Ps and Qs. You you don't want to be gullible, and you want to recognize and look for confirmations from the Lord. You don't want to jump on every thing that you see. Oh, hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Uh, this is from the Lord. I just know it's from the Lord. You know, it's good to get confirmations. It's good to seek the Lord. It's good to you know uh, cast lots. It's good. Uh, to to you know, be sure, uh, be be extra sure, because um, the the damage, the emotional damage that can be done. Oh man, not just the emotional damage, but the other damage too, the earthly damage that can be done. The things that you might end up having to go through that you could have avoided if you would have sought the Lord for confirmation are immense. Truly immense. Um, and I'm I'm walking, living, talking proof of that. I could, like I said, I could write a book. No one would believe it, but I could write a book. All right, praise God, thank you, Jesus. So anyway, um, we are uh, definitely entering into a period of time where I would expect that uh, God's people will uh, start uh, prophesying, having visions and dreams and things like that on a level that we have probably never seen thus far, and um, and it also makes for a very very risky, uh, period of time for those of us who have had it up to here. We don't want to be here anymore. We're dealing with all kinds of ugly things in our lives, things that we don't want to have to deal with. Uh, we would like to get out of here. Uh, you know, we would like the Lord to move more quickly in our prayer lives so that we can answer our prayers more rapidly, so that we could get some semblance of normalcy back into our lives and just spend more time in prayer and praise and and have that joy that we're promised in the scripture and make that a part of who we are and our walk uh, in the days, uh, that we have ahead of us. Okay. Praise God. And, um, you know, and it's a little bit hard to get that joy and, and walk that walk, uh, when we're getting body slammed with, you know, one thing after the other. So, uh, we all need to be praying for one another an awful lot and asking our heavenly father to surround us with holy fire, to surround us with a whirlwind of the Holy spirit, to surround us with a thorny hedge of protection, to surround us with a, uh, you know, with uh, with the uh, angels on a search and destroy mission to protect us in in every direction, every place, every di- uh, everything. All parts of our lives need to be completely covered by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus now more than ever before. We really need to be leaning in on our spiritual warfare prayers, and we really need to be leaning in on all of our prayers really now more than ever before and spending more time, more and more and more, never enough, uh, in uh, peace and quiet. In the dark, uh, singing songs to Jesus and having intimate time with him. I mean really intimate time with him and our Father uh, as the days go on. We need to increase that intimate time ever so much more. As we progress forward into this year, because uh, I think it's reasonable that the uh, array of folks that have uh, witnessed to me about what they believe is going this year is going to be hold, you know, hold hold for us. Uh, I, I think they're right. I really do. I think this is going to be a rough year. Um, and uh, and so uh, the closer we are to the Lord, the more um, skilled we are in our spiritual warfare prayer tactics, um, you know – the better it's going to be for us, um, you know, uh, and, and 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 we really need to live it. We need to live it more now than we've ever lived it before. And I know you, you're probably like, Johnny, you're always talking about this kind of stuff. How can I live it more than I'm already living it now? Let me tell you something. There, there's always room for more God. All right. There's always room for more God. All right. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Jesus. There's always more room for our Lord Jesus in our lives and we need to make that time now especially because we do not want to be ill-equipped to deal with the things that are reason, it's, I think with pretty decent reasonable you know it's pretty reasonable to estimate that it is going to be a bumpy year praise god thank you jesus now what all is going to happen i don't know and i am certainly not going to dwell on it i'm going to praise god and thank you jesus because we got we're getting close folks i mean think about this if Obama's the antichrist, which I believe with all of my heart that he is, and so do gazillions of other people for really good reasons, if Obama's the antichrist, which he is, and um, and uh, 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 and if the myriad uh, untold numbers of people that were shown um, uh, uh, Donald Trump in a casket um, are true, then in um, 2024 – He's you know, let's assume that he's going to run. He's going to make it that far. Let's just play along. Let's play the game. Um, Looking at the timeline, we've just entered into 2023. So the clock is ticking down now. Okay, now we have entered into this time where it's like tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. The countdown is on. We are heading to 2024, that is the year, so all these things that we've been talking about, all these things that are connected to the Antichrist, that are connected to the the, the revealing of the Antichrist, that are connected to the alien uh, invasion and the alien events that are going to be part of the triggers that are associated with the barley harvest, these are things that we are, thank you, Jesus, we want these things to happen, hallelujah. Hallelujah. OK, and so really when you list out all the things, you know, you can you can list, you know, if you want to toss in Korea and sinking of the aircraft carrier, toss in, you know, a couple of tactical nukes being short shot into the Ford Al facility, uh, you know, uh, uh, toss in uh, more events associated with Russia and the Ukraine and that situation growing and getting ever worse, um, the list of, you, you can throw in all of the end times events that you want to throw into that are precursors of the Civil War. What about the Civil War in the United States of Babylon the Great? That's a huge event. That's a major trigger event. We're right on the edge of that occurring. I, if I could sit here and just read to you, okay, let's say I just sat here and I scrolled through my Twitter feed, my finely tuned Twitter feed by the way and I read one thing after another to you one thing after another after another after another after another you would see the tone you would see the tone of people it was kind of sad really when I noticed that everybody was so happy and they were uh, so hopeful and the Twitter files and they were like wow Fauci you know, is going to get imprisoned and there was a lot of upbeat um, you know Feelings out there, and um, and 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 little by little by little, it started to diminish over time because people started to realize that you know as long as our Department of Justice is completely compromised by Satan, which it is, then it, it doesn't really matter. None of it matters. Okay. All right. So, but as people started to awaken to the fact that the fraud is still taking place, the whole Carrie, what's her name out in Arizona, you know, all they started getting bummed little by little. So I watched this surge of optimism bubbling up amidst my finely tuned Twitter feed with various, you know, Jim Jordan-like, you know, a a wide array of lawmakers uh, and also highly, very, very, very well-known people, um, uh, just to kind of get a temperature of what were people thinking? What were they anticipating to happen? Did they believe that folks were going to go to prison? Did they believe that that the gavel in the House of Representatives was going to be meaningful? Um, And and, and initially, that was the case. But over time, as they watched things metastasize into a sick, twisted, satanic, evil porridge of darkness, they realized, oh, no, nothing has changed. Now, these are people that are not, you know, they're not aware that you know they're you know maybe some of them believe in the devil, I don't know it's re- but I'm telling you they they're not they don't get get that. They don't see the things that are happening today as being biblical in nature. all right And so when you get their temperature on the events that are happening, uh, you know it's kind of sad, it's kind of sad because they're realizing they went from having hope to having pretty much no hope. And that's kind of a sad thing to watch happen for anybody. You don't want, you know, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. Uh, it's good for us because when we look at Obama, when we look at Trump, when we look at the casket visions, when we look at all the different things and and the, the coming uh, civil war, when we look at all the things that we have lined up for our imminent departure, this is glorious. This is something to be very, very excited about as long as you do not make the awful mistake of getting yourself sucked into a riptide of you know, um, uh, you know, a rapture bubble. Okay, a hypercycle. Okay, as long as you fight that that tendency and you and you keep your head together, and remain nepha level-headed. First Thessalonians chapter five, uh, Titus two verse two, First Peter one thirteen, and First Peter five eight. As long as you keep yourself level-headed and you watch like we are to watch intelligently, and you don't let yourself get sucked into, uh, you know, one of these hypercycles, one of these rapture bubbles, then you're this is a good thing to be excited about. It's a real good thing to be excited about. Because we are, think about it. I mean, uh, yeah, you could say, well, Johnny, are we all that much closer than we were two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And you're right, you make a good point. And the point is, no, we're not. Okay. However, from a milestone standpoint, from a hey, it is 2023 now, or you know that kind of thing, it's pretty significant. Okay, you could very easily make the argument that the countdown is definitely on for the Civil War event, for the the casket event, for. you know uh all the things that we've that all link together that all tie together for our eminent our imminent um departure from this place and that is something to be very very excited about praise god thank you jesus and on that note let's go into the news
1: ladies and gentlemen may i have your attention please it's
0: not normal it's
1: just wrong
0: uh, what? Wow. is Game
2: over. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the first one up is... The World Economic Forum is to accelerate push for global metaverse surveillance network at Davos 2023. Oh, isn't that just joyful? Anyway, it says during its – I'm going to read this one uh, quickly um, because it's probably got some really interesting stuff in it that we ought to be watching for. During its 2023 Davos conference, the World Economic Forum will host a press conference on its Building the Metaverse initiative and release key studies and details about its efforts to further facilitate what appears to be um, uh, or appears to amount to a global surveillance network according to the documents reviewed by the dossier. Okay, the metaverse—a buzzworthy bumper sticker slogan that uh, refers to a whole host of ideas in the technology space—has potential current and future applications, both for the private and governmental agencies or entities. It will be featured as one of the core staples of the 2023 Davos conference. Do they ever not? Did these entities never not have a conference? I don't. I, I think they just. They, they, anyway, um, what is is the metaverse exactly? The term metaverse was invented by author Neil Stevenson in his 1992 sci-fi novel, Snow Crash, in which citizens used digital avatars as a means to escape their dystopian reality. To entrepreneurs and technology companies, this computer word can serve as a potential revenue and data harvesting stream. For the committed forces of the technocratic tyranny, the, the metaverse can act as a global surveillance network that can keep tabs on anyone with an internet connection. A metaverse adopting society can make it much easier for ruling governments to track the movement behaviors and activities of its citizens for the word uh, for the World Economic Forum the the narrative and ideas uh, uh, and ideas shop of the ruling class and later applications are more aligned with their feudalistic ambitions the WEF and the chief coalition builder for what amounts to the modern depopulation movement over the years they've partnered with big tech central bankers governmental and international organizations to facilitate their feudalistic vision uh, for the future which involves deliberately rolling back human progress innovation and flourishing under the guise of saving the planet from a climate emergency which you know we, we know it's they're just leveraging Planet X. Anyway, it goes on. It says, and while various WEF partners have different motives for joining the rolling alliance, they all have an incentive to cater to the WEF's most prized climate hoax narratives. The WEF Metaverse uh, uh, press conference event uh, description reads, this press conference will announce the first long-awaited outputs of the Defining and Building Metaverse Initiative, highly anticipated briefing papers and interoperability in the metaverse for governance track of the project, and demystifying the consumer metaverse from the value creation track. Now, it's getting all kinds of weird and philosophical, but at the end of the day, I'm just looking over this and I'm breezing through it, and I don't even see a value proposition And continuing to read it because it's all really a bunch of poppycock and boulder dash satanic nonsense all right and i you know i i'm actually looking forward to hanging out on the on the edge of the lake of fire and watching these entities get tossed into it all right praise god thank you jesus next one up J.P. Morgan. Hold on a second. Hold on a second here. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. J.P. Morgan was sued by the Virgin Islands over Jeffrey Epstein's alleged sex trafficking operation. Okay, and so it goes on to say uh, Epstein was discovered dead in his jail, blah, 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 gives you a little bit of history. But at the end of the day, J.P. Morgan Chase has been sued by the Virgin Islands over Epstein's operation. Now, what the actual lawsuit entails The article doesn't reveal at this time. I don't think it's going to be all that interesting. And quite frankly, I have a hunch it's all going to get slept under the rug. Right, Right, Glenn Beck? Nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody pays for a thing anymore. Kim Jong Un accuses the United States of created, creating creating Asia, an Asian version of NATO. Okay, and 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 so again, what does this actually mean? I I don't know. I was I, even when I was considering putting this into the headlines, I thought to myself, okay, so Kim Jong Un who you know, we all know him and his sister are total lunatics. Um, uh, you know, they're accusing the United States of an Asian version of NATO. Now, what, what, what does that exactly mean? Um, You know, all that could possibly mean is that in his opinion, there are enough, you know, with this, uh, you know, the Republic of South Korea, you've got uh, Japan, you've got different um, uh, countries over there in that area that um, are definitely pumping up their military readiness uh... to deal with the threat associated with north korea so there is no doubt in my mind that that is exactly what he's pointing at whether it has you know but but yeah i mean hello mcfly is anybody there you know mcfly you know, I mean, it, it, to, to me, it's like, you know, since when wasn't the United States of Babylon the Great looking for every opportunity that it can and and, and a leverage uh, to, you know, essentially take over the entire world? That's exactly what they want to do. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Russia, Japan, trade surges despite sanctions, uh, according to the media. Okay. So you've got. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and and it's not r- just Russia and Japan trade. It's the whole BRICS group. It's out, and now we we get to throw in uh Saudi Arabia we get to throw in uh, the list just grows every single day it seems like uh, definitely on a weekly basis it appears that there's another country that has come forward and vocalized um you know very overtly that they want to be part of the new BRICS group they want to be part of the new um monetary system that's being established by all those who have had it up to here with the satanic influences of this deep dark seething evil country. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. South Korea, the United States and Japan say Norse the Norse provocations will deepen its isolation. And I'm like, uh, oh yeah? <laughs> You're good thanks captain obvious i was on a totally different track praise god next one out net daily reports top lawyer says government doesn't have the power to criminalize prayer there's much to do and much fuss i think it was in australia somebody was nearby you know a um an abortion facility and evidently they closed their eyes and supposedly prayed silently and the thought police came up on them and arrested them and then of course there's much to do across the world and various lawyers and everybody's getting into the Array of discussion right now over whether or not this can happen. Is it legal? Can you know? Blah 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 blah. Um, maybe it was in the United Kingdom that this occurred. I don't know. But at the end of the day, uh, there is much discussion that is occurring across the globe uh, to uh, try to analyze whether or not um, the thought police would ultimately be able to criminalize prayer in various countries. Now, we already know that it is criminalized in some countries um, because of their belief systems and such like that. Um, what of my thoughts? Yeah, they're going to, I think, it's, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I think, I believe with all of my heart that when J. Vernon McGee was shown in his vision about the end times, that the church will basically, the church that we note of today will go away. There will be no more buildings, and uh, that it will become an underground church, and it will be for very, very good reason. It will be for persecution's sake and all the other things that that Jesus warned us about. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And you know, the thing about it is we don't know. Are we going to be here for that? Well, we don't know. We just don't know i don't think god really wants us to know all right praise god thank you jesus we're just supposed to draw in close know that time is the season is upon us and really really step up our relationship with our father and our lord jesus christ hallelujah all right next one up Call to reform the Bureau as the FBI claims its critics are conspiracy theorists. So, again, the whole uh, Twitter files, information, indisputable evidence that would hold up in any court of law, just like all the fraud claims and everything else that was swept under the rug by the forces of Satan. It's all – it's same thing. Same thing. Nothing has ever changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing ever will. Okay, so uh, it, it is a sad thing. It is a sad thing when I when you know when I watch all of these people, and hope you know a twinkle of hope enters into their eyes. They start saying things like, "Wow, you know." The earth, you know, the, you know, things are going to change. You know, we're going, to, you know going to, we're going to, you know, the government's going to change. Everything's going to change. We're going to get, you know, the, the voting is going to be fixed, all that. And then you start to little by little see the twinkle go away from their eyes. And it's kind of sad. But it is part of God's master plan to bring all of his people to him. All right. Praise God. There are no such things as atheists in a foxhole. And the darker the darkness gets, the more people are going to go closer to Jesus. All right. Next one up. North Korea's Kim Jong Un orders exponential expansion of his nuclear arsenal. So he has uh, told his minions uh, that he wants more, bigger, bigger powerful, intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, and he just, you know, he wants it it to be stepped up. So, um, uh, you know, is anybody surprised by that? No, of course we're not. All right, next one up. Hallelujah. (laughs) CDC reports a new strain of Omicron is taking over in the United States. Does anybody really care? Yeah, I kind of figured not. All right, thank you, Jesus. We're just gonna skip over that one. Oh no, it's another Omicron variant. I'm I'm so scared. Uh, anyway, whatever. All right, praise Jesus. Thank you, Father. Next one up. Shogu Shogu uh, addresses. He's the uh, he's the um, Russian uh, defense minister Sergei Sergey Shogu um, has uh, addressed the troops in a, in a New Year's Eve uh, victory speech and allowing and told them basically that victory is inevitable. By the way, anybody who understands exactly what is indeed going on in the Ukraine, the number of troops that are built up, the number of equipment, the advanced nature of the equipment uh, wow i mean so when is it going to happen we don't know you know some people are saying when the mud when when the mud freezes well you know some people have also said that the mud hasn't frozen yet in the southern part of the ukraine but then when well we don't know all right so we're just gonna have to keep our eyes on that stuff and stay tuned um and and what will it actually mean uh uh, you know, I'm not really sure it's going to mean an awful lot. It's just going to mean it's, it's the inevitable. It's what we already know is going to happen, and it is going to drag on forever. It's For those of us who are waiting for Jesus to come, it's going to be death by 50,000 cuts. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. All right, next one up. <laughs> All right. Now the end begins, reports. Uh, Get ready for the 15-minute city. So everybody's uh, all aghast about the new 15-minute city concept of the World Economic Forum. And, of course, thank you, United Kingdom, once again, for making such a uh, deliberate and humongous uh, contribution to the dystopian end times, 1984 uh, civilization that's being thrust upon us by holding up Oxfordshire as a uh municipality that you can actually test the 15 minute city um lockdown uh um you know thing Way to go, UK. UK. I mean, who, I would like to know who in the United Kingdom. Sign them up for that. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. All right. The, the New England town invaded by coyotes calls in sharpshooters. So evidently there's a New England town, and it's in Massachusetts. Uh, it's it's uh, N-A-H-A-N-T, Nahant. Uh, and um and they, they're they being overrun by um. Uh, you know, coyotes. Now, th- what does that mean, anything? Well, it just, the only reason I re- bothered to report on any of the, the weird animal things is because uh, at the end of the fourth seal, it says, and the beast of the earth. So we know that the weirdness, uh, the the un- un- unpredictability, the end times nature of the behavior of various critters and creatures and things across the world is very much a part of the days that we are in right now. Praise God. Next up. North Korean leaders, there's an awful lot of North Korea, 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 North Korea. Somebody slapped the doggone needle on the uh, thirty-three and a half LP. But anyway, North Korean leaders order new ICBM and larger nuclear arsenal. So that that is in concert with the previous deadline, which basically was a little bit more um, nebulous in uh, the specificity of that which Kim Jong-un Is commanding? Um, Do we care? Do we? Does it really matter at the end of the day? No, it really doesn't. You know why? Because we've known for well over twelve years exactly what's going to happen from uh, during the attack from North Korea into South Korea and the sinking of the aircraft, the United States uh, uh, aircraft carrier in the North Korean Sea. So we've got it teed up. We know it's coming. We have a pretty good list of uh, key items that we. Well, are watching for, and and uh, and now we are entering into 2023. The countdown is on for 2024. The civil uh, the uh, civil war event that everybody knows is coming, and people are still talking about, um, uh, and, and all of this stuff. The countdown is on, folks. The countdown is on. Uh, so anyway, um, that is something for all of us to be excited about. Take the time extra time, extra, 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 extra time to drawing closer to the Lord, to spend more time in prayer, for praying for one another oh my goodness, more than ever before, because the days that we are in right now are certain to get more challenging more difficult uh, and and uh, and if they're more difficult than what I've gone through in the last couple of months look out, hallelujah thank you Jesus, and on that note let's bring on brother Gary Wayne Uh-oh. Brother Gary, are you there?
3: I am, and uh, a happy new year to you, and a happy new year to everybody out in the audience, and happy to be back again tonight.
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, same to you, happy new year to you and your family, and uh, we're all kind of looking with squinty eyes at the uh, portfolio (laughs) fund we have lined up for us, uh, given, you know, the, the current trending. Uh, but anyway, um, and and again, we're always very, very blessed and excited to have you join us. We're super excited about your new book and uh, hearing about the progress of that, uh, of its release and everything else. So uh, surely spend some time um, on that topic as well tonight. But thank you very, very much for joining us. God bless you.
3: Well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, so I will talk a little bit about my uh, my book tonight. I I have not yet. Submitted it to the publishers, but I am on chapter 69 of the 84 chapters on the proofread So I want to get through that and then we'll get it in the queue for the publishers and uh, for people um, Wanting to know what the name of it will be. It will be the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2 And the subtitle will be how Understanding prehistory and the Rephaim helps define end-time prophecy So it's going to be a book that sort of dovetails into the first book but is not going to be very really redundant of the first book. So it's going to have a lot more prophetic flavor as trying to understand end-time prophecy through understanding our history and our prehistory because nothing is new under the sun and what will be will be again. And in the context of the angelic uh, rebellion it's really important to get a grasp on not only the visible but the invisible and that are partnered against us and are feverishly working to bring about their rendezvous with destiny so i'm hoping to to get that book to uh, the publishers uh, pretty soon and all things being equal it's going to be out uh, you know sometime hopefully depending on how busy the publisher is either the first quarter or the second quarter So I'm just loving some of the material. It's it's designed specifically for Christians. It's designed to go deep into the Bible on prehistory uh, in ways that people haven't really sort of thought about it before. And to really define the context of that prehistory, how it affected prophetic history, and how it will affect end-time prophecy. So it will go into all of the different kinds of the giants that are in the Bible, uh, and there's just a plethora of names that, and a lot of names that people don't associate associate with them. It's going to talk about the association between the Rephaim and the Nephilim, so, but it's heavily focused on the post-Diluvian giants, which are the Raphaim, Raphaim, and into the beast dynasties in terms of how the giants are part of the whole prophetic nature of the beast empires, and of course, the beast as in the Antichrist in the end time. So it's going to define that. It's going to define um, end time Babylon as it connects back into the beast empires and back to Babel. And it's going to describe for you an angelic hierarchy and a visible hierarchy that you can sort of relate to things that are going on in the world today. Because as we look at things going on in the world today, we have events that seem inexplicable only because we're seeing it through the lens of a very short period of time, which the media is trying to keep us focused on and isn't providing the proper context. So if you're wanting to know what is going on in the world today, you need to get behind and see the larger context. And so the Genesis 6 Conspiracy does that very, very well. But this book will add significant more information that's specifically biblically based that sort of ties things together so they're going to work hand in hand and yes you can buy one without buying the other they're going to be able to be read independent but I think what people are going to find is if they're if they read the first one they're going to want the second one if they read the second one they're going to want to read more about what's in the first one so uh, eighty four chapters as it stands right now and uh, again looking forward to uh, getting that off to 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 the publisher and out, out onto the market so Tonight we're going to talk about Chapter 37 of Genesis 6, Part 1, How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. And chapter 37 is one of my favorite chapters in the book Uh, I obviously I have a biases uh, for the underdog and and Christianity and the Judaic people as being part of the Holy Covenant and the and and the sort of underdogs of the meek of this world that are up against the complete naphalim world order Um, and that Napoleonic world order exists today, just as it existed in the time of King David. So chapter 37 is called David and Goliath. And it is just a, a, a snapshot into the larger wars that are going on past, present and future uh, in an in a interesting battle that a lot of people want to dismiss and shove off as being just a mythos that was created for the Davidic kingdom and to make them, you know, like other kingdoms around the world with all have a mythology. But we know scripture isn't that way. Scripture is about the history of the people of, of the Jewish covenant and the Israeli covenant and uh, the tribulations that they're going through and the fulfillment of the Holy Covenant, just as Jesus came to fulfill the law and to fulfill the covenant as part of the whole Holy Covenant and things that are blessed through the curses and, and the blessings of the covenant. So this was absolutely front and center in the time of king david and king saul and israel was a nation that was absolutely surrounded by the nephilim world order or the Rephaim order as both the giants and all of their kingdoms that were wanting to wipe israel from the face of the earth and this incident in the Bible with David and Goliath is going to occur in the times of King David. So David is just a teenager at this point in time, and he is just introduced, being introduced to the world, and his journey is just going to be beginning, and it's going to be beginning in a time when Saul has already lost the uh, favor of God, uh, for, as we covered in, in in the last couple of chapters, he he did not fulfill the laws uh, of the kingship and do the things that he was instructed to do, and so Samuel had selected at God's command a new king, even though Saul was still alive, and Saul was leading the army uh, on one side of the mountain. And the Philistines were on the other side of the mountain and this is the scenario that is part of the Philistine wars that that King Saul was was uh, carrying out David would finish up uh, these wars so this is this is a tale that is a timeless tale that's taught in Sunday schools and it's the classic underdog story of a teenager against the giant Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about this giant as as we go through this, so that everybody sort of understands what was really going on at Soka um, at that time. And this is a story that connects, as I was mentioning, into the larger picture and the dynastic bloodlines of the Raphaim. And we're going to see that uh, clearly in this narrative. And... It connects into the the polytheist's desperate uh, endeavor to try and uh, align with or to draft in and or to reimagine David and his bloodlines and into the royal bloodlines as they come down through history as they're looking for that pedigree. Um, And so part of the pedigree that is part of what antichrist will have one ought to anticipate that there's going to be a jewish davidic bloodline they're going to have other bloodlines as well back to giants and they're going to connect back to king saul as well and they're also going to present alleged false genealogies and my understanding of what they're planning that will also come from uh, mary magdalene and uh, uh, and jesus through their third son Josephus, but alleged bloodlines, but that's the things that they're going to be working through and all of this is kind of in play with the bloodlines of the kings of the Philistines at that time, which are Rephaim bloodlines and Aryan bloodlines. So it's a very interesting sort of mix and it's a riveting drama that is taking place at Shoka or Soka, depending on which translation that you're uh, that you're reading. Um, and it's a scenario where Saul is not going to take in the uh, one-on-one mortal combat with Goliath, and so we create a scenario where there's a standoff. So let's get into the story and talk a little bit about it, and what I want to do is I want to read the The verse that I use to introduce chapter 37, uh, it's called David and Goliath. And I begin the chapter with, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you not come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so this is what's playing out. And Goliath is doing this morning and night for 40 days in a row. So he's absolutely humiliating. And we have this sort of classic standoff that's taking place there against Israel and one of the strongest nations ever to occupy the covenant land and the Philistine Pentapolis and their mice network. And if you're not familiar with the mice network, it's kind of interconnected into the narratives of Saul and the the Ark and the epods that are uh, sent back in sort of doing damage control for possessing the Ark when they when the Philistines um, were not supposed to do that. And so, but the mice network is this network of the Pentapolis cities. States, which were large fortresses, and these village fortresses that all worked in tandem for offense and defense, and in a state of perpetual war, and they were sort of the archetypical sure of the uh, Philistine uh, or of the Middle East giant nations and their structures in terms of their military and how they set up. The Philistines were probably the most powerful nation. Um, within that region, as powerful as the other nations were that Joshua and Moses had conquered, the Philistines were never conquered by Israel. So in that context, we need to understand that that's probably out of respect um, and that they were going to be one of the latter nations that Israel was going to take on when they were numerous enough to not only hold on to their land, Um, And in a time when they called for a king, this would come about. And so this was the time. And so each side occupied the high ground with a valley in between them. And each side had had considerable respect for each other from a damaged perspective of what each other had done with them through the ages of the judges. That there were several clashes, including with Samson. And so both sides had sort of inherited scars of generations past. And so no one wanted to give an edge to the other side. And nobody wanted to attack first because you would be going down and into the valley and then having to attack uphill. So you didn't want to give up the high ground. And so Goliath was with the arrogance of the Philistines and with the arrogance of who Goliath was, was parading for 40 days and 40, uh, 40 mornings and 40 evenings, embarrassing Israel because he thought they had an edge and in a challenge that he was sure to win. And they would take over and make Israel a vassal state. And so Israel was not going to do that. in King Saul was not prepared, by inference of the narrative, who was the tallest of the Israelites, a full head and neck above any of the other Israelites, prepared to go down and wage battle against uh, such a renowned champion as, as Goliath. And Goliath was a champion and a man of war from his youth, as he was described. And as, as, as Josephus described them, he was a, a stout and muscled warrior. And stout is a word that is used a lot, and I'll use it a lot in um, the sequel in describing the post-diluvium giants. And stout as in wide, not stout as in sort of overweight, but in muscular brawn and wide. And just as Og's bed, as being nine cubits long and four cubits wide, is a relative two-to-one width-to-height ratio. That is the width-to-height ratio that the giants were thought to have, whereas humans would have a three-to-one. And so this was somebody that was very strong and very stocky and very muscled. And Goliath was, uh, was 6 cubits and a span tall and that is by a standard cubit would be uh, 18 inches which would make him nine feet nine inches tall but he was from Gath and likely the king of Gath who Ashish takes over and shows up after the battle uh, of Soko and likely inherits the kingship as being pointed by the Saranim, the tyrants, the council of the giant lords that appointed all the kings of the Philistine Empire, is appointed after the Goliath battle. And so he gets that job because of Goliath dying this day. And so that sort of presupposes that Goliath as a Gittite from Gath, was a king, and the king of Gath, and a king appointed by the lords of the Philistines, the princes of the Philistines, the Tsar and the Saranim that, that I mentioned. That's the Hebrew word for them, meaning tyrants, and words that are sort of Nephilim and raphaim, and descriptive as you take that back to, to, to Hebrew. And Gath was the city of the Anakim as we're told in the Bible in a number of passages. And amongst the original Philistines were giant people. You have the Anakim that we just mentioned. And they have two cities within the Philistine pentapolis. And you also have the Avim who control Gaza in Gaza City in the Philistine Empire. And these are giants that are recorded in Deuteronomy 2 that goes back to the Hebrew word Rapha and the male plural Raphaim. So Goliath is likely, just by this, in terms of connecting to who, who occupied Gath, who was the king of Gath, was either an Avim or an Anakim, and you could go sort of either way on that, but both are Raphaim as they're defined in Deuteronomy 2. But there's other people that are giants within the Philistine Empire. You have the Cherithim and the Pelothim. And these are the people on Crete that the Philistines intermarried with and became hybrids. And with them, they, after the Santorini disaster of the volcano blowing up that made Several islands in that area, including Cyprus and Santorini unlivable, had to migrate away from Crete, and they expropriated the Gaza region from the giant nations circa about 1600 B.C. using biblical chronology. And they took it from the giants. And as Deuteronomy 2 tells us, is, is they literally pushed the Avim for the most part right out, but not totally because, as we read later on, they become part of the Philistine um, military network and are probably providing kings as well along with the Anakim. So this was a very powerful nation with iron chariots, iron weapons. And they used that iron technology to their advantage in that region, including banning Israel from being able to do blacksmith type of work because they were afraid that they were going to make iron weapons. And this was the army that um, Israel was up against at Sokol. And this was whom Goliath steps forward. And he's called... um, a champion and he's he's a he's a giant champion but let's just have the have a look at that word uh champion uh and that he was also a man of war from 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 the youth so a champion comes from um basically two words is is, is you're um looking at the great man or the great champion in the wording in in in, in the book of samuel here and champion is the hebrew word ben b e n a i m or a y i m i mean and it means between two armies this is a very interesting <laughs> sort of definition and the man is um, the word ish in hebrew um, and it means a champion and a great and mighty man and when you put it sort of together in terms of the description of of goliath he's this this great and mighty man between two armies. And I'm going to come back to that uh, as to why and what the context is around the challenge that Goliath is, is lying, laying out in front of Israel and embarrassing them for 40 days and 40 nights. And so this is this monster that is probably going to be measured from a royal cubit of 21 inches. That's the king of Gath that is laying out this challenge. And as Josephus says, you measure the giants because they're kings, just as Og was a king on a royal cubit, which is 21 inches, which would make Goliath 11 feet, three inches tall. So he is more than twice as tall as any of the Israelites. And he is at least 50% wider. And he is a monster. And he wields monster type and size of weapons. So biblically, we're told that his breastplate, just his breastplate that he's going to wear, not the rest of his armor, is 125 pounds that he would put on, and he would wage war from underneath that. That takes a powerful individual. And the spear was so heavy, it had to be slung over his back. In fact, the spear point was 15 pounds. And Goliath had a harem of servants, which again indicates a regal sort of nature that he would have a harem of of servants who followed behind him to carry all of his armor into battle because of the weight of it all. And so we have somebody that is a giant king, a Raphaim king, who is laying out this challenge and he has a reputation that precedes him. He has a reputation that may be one of the most significant reputations as a warrior since the time of the flood. This is the individual. And Goliath, is called uh, The Son of a Giant by Josephus, whose name is Arath. And again, Arath is very close to the spelling of Rapha. So one wonders whether or not that's actually his name, or there's just a transliteration that's going on in Josephus' um, account. But what we do know is, is that a giant produced at least four, maybe five, Giants in the time of this battle, and in the generation of that battle, and we know that because there are names of giants that the David and his mighty men are later going to kill after killing Goliath, and after David becomes king of Israel, and so you have uh, Ishi ben Ab as one of those sons of a giant. A raft, perhaps, as, as Josephus talks about. And Josephus doesn't name this giant as Ishi ben Ab. He also names him as Achmon, which is also a Cretan name, just as Ashish was a Cretan name for the king that replaces Goliath at Gath after Goliath is killed. And again, that reflects that sort of original peoples that migrated from Crete as to expropriate the, the land of Gaza in the, in the covenant land before Israel had even moved in in Exodus in the time of the conquest to take the covenant land. And you also have Saph that's named, and Lami. And Lami is the brother of Goliath. And then we also have a name that Siphi that a lot of people think can be a transliteration of Saph. So either however you're going to count this, you're going to have four or five giants, all as being sons of one specific giant. And that word giant is Rafa. And so now you can now interpret that, that these are the children or the sons of the giant or the sons of the giants, plural, because it's, it's the same word. It's the Hebrew word Rafa. So it's either the patriarch's name is Rapha or it is describing the, a, perhaps an eponymously named tribe after a patriarch named Rafa that may have been the first of the Raphaim. But either way, it is distinguishing these people as a different species and a different race and all of the sons of Rafa or the Raphaim, depending how you want to um, account for that definition. And it's important to keep in mind that there are even more giants that are listed. I won't go into them. I just want to sort of provide the context here that this is a battle of humans against the visible, divine representatives of the pantheon of gods, the Balim of Mount Hermon, who are trying to wipe Israel from the face of the earth, and they're trying to prevent the Messiah from coming in support of their pantheon so that it will justify the angelic rebellion and hopefully eventually win them their realm and they know the bloodline of David is going to bring about the Messiah and so Goliath is going to be the first to try and ensure that happens uh, that David doesn't survive as part of many attacks that will come down through history to prevent the Messiah from coming and then actually taking the life of the Messiah the thing is is had they known everything they wouldn't have done that as the book of Corinthians tells us that had had the princes of this world understood and the princes are the rulers of this world the invisible ones and their visible representatives on earth they would not have had him crucified if they knew about the resurrection. So they didn't know about the resurrection. That was always part of the plan with, from God and Jesus was the Alpha Omega. And so when we look at what's taking place, it's, it's, it's the whole endemic thingy in a microcosm that's being played out here that is is very much sort of part of the whole that has been going on throughout the generations and will come come late in David's ancestor, or I mean his descendant, um, who is going to uh, be the word made flesh in Jesus through Mary, who is going to come back and take on the descendants of the giants in the Armageddon War. So again, this is all sort of playing out and it's all to help us understand What is going on in this world so David enters the scene and this is what's going on at the Shoka Valley and it's been going on for for 40 days and that um, David is going to take on this giant in mortal one-on-one combat to the end and the victor will be the winner that will make the other nation and army a vassal army and a vassal nation so all is at stake all is on the table here in seemingly a mismatch and i'm not even sure that any of the philistine giants would have tried to take goliath on because he was the most famous and the most powerful of the philistine pentapolis warriors And David was just a teen at this point in time, and he wasn't even at the the battle when the armies gathered. And so he comes into this scene. And when he does, Saul actually offers him his armor, but David refuses. And David goes in with just the slingshot. And he's going to take on this warrior that is the greatest giant warrior or one of the greatest giant warriors from since the flood. You couldn't have a better image of the underdog here. And Goliath curses David as he's coming forward. And Goliath laughed at David. The irony was just unbelievable in Goliath's eyes and his hubris and narcissism that after 40 days and 40 nights, they don't send King Saul or any one of the other warriors that, that to take him on. They send somebody that may barely be into puberty, who has no military training whatsoever. He's a shepherd at this point in time, and not an adult. But David knows that God is with them this day and Saul knows God is with David that day as well and permits him to go and God God is no longer with Saul, in fact Saul is dealing with an evil spirit that was sent to him for his violations of following God's instructions so it's David that is going to step forward and, and fight Goliath this day and as David approached he picks up Five smooth stones as he approaches Goliath. And he didn't pick up five smooth stones because he thought he would miss. God was with him, and he was probably very well trained as a slinger. He brought, he picked up five smooth stones because... He knew he might have to kill the five kings of the five-city Pentapolis that day, so four others after he killed the king of Gath, and or he thought he might have to kill the other four brothers of Goliath that day in the same manner that he was going to kill Goliath. And one presumes that had they stepped forward, Goliath would have killed all, or David would have killed all the five giants, kings and or Goliath's brothers that day, and in the same way. So this was this was not a lack of faith going on. This was preparation that David knew full well what he was up against, that this information about the giants was well known in the time of David. It was part of the Nephilim... The Nephilim and Nephilim world order of the post diluvian world with Rephaim giants. It was in place, and they were the ruling class, the warrior class, and the priest class of all the nations that surrounded Israel. This was well known. David was well aware of what he was about to get himself into. And so, typically in a mortal one-on-one combat, It's a brutal slugfest to the end until somebody gets, let's say, a skillful or a lucky stroke in with the sword or one tires so much that he can't carry on. And this is what Goliath had come prepared to do. But what presented in, in front of Goliath was this teenager with just a slingshot. And David is laughing. I mean, Goliath is laughing. But David takes one of these smooth stones and he puts it in a sling. And he fires it at Goliath like a missile, like almost like a, you would almost think a heat-seeking missile or something because it goes right into Goliath's forehead and it sinks right through his skull. And Goliath falls like a giant cedar. I use that word in particular because that's the word that's used to describe the Amorites who are described like the, you know, the height as the cedars of Lebanon, the cedars of Mount Hermon, because the cedars are the giant trees um, that grew in the Lebanon forests, and it was the wood that was used for all of the palaces and the and the uh, temples and the holy places of the, of, of the Middle East that were that big, they'd be as high as 100 feet high and you know, 40 to 50 feet round at the trunk. And strong. And the other tree that's used are the oaks of Bashan, because, again, the giants and the Amorites were strong like the Raphaim and tall like the, the Raphaim, but not as tall, because they're hybrids like the Philistines are. And so you can imagine this giant tree falling of Goliath like a giant cedar who's absolutely been stunned and may almost be killed or killed instantly with the, the, this rock that penetrates through, through his forehead. And as David approaches him, he doesn't just leave Goliath there with the stone in his head. Goliath or David takes Goliath's sword and then he decapitates Goliath and he holds that giant elongated head with these high cheekbones and these wide wraparound glowing eyes and these protruding chips and this big elongated skull and he's showing it up to not only the Israelites but also to the Philistines. And he did that for a reason. It was tradition in David's time and before and after that the Rephaim had significant healing powers and if you wanted to make sure they were dead you had to take their head. So biblically we get a number of kings. I won't go through them all but you've got sort of a gag who's hewed sh- 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 into a number of pieces. He's the king of the Amalekites. You have Orab and Zed that are the kings of the Midian- Midianites and their heads are taken. This was the standard in that period of time that if you wanted to ensure they couldn't self-heal themselves, you had to kill them with a blow like of the taking of the head as in decapitation so that they could not heal themselves and come back to life. They were very resilient. They were the, they were the physical world created by fallen angels, war machines. And so you, you couldn't just assume that they were dead. And so he he raised the head up, and showed it to everybody. And we also get this as as just sort of as a a note that the Egyptians and the and the people of the Ugaritic texts, where the Raphaim, the Raphaim, um worshipped the the Baalim, they both viewed that losing your head was the worst way you could die as a Raphaim, because it would not ensure you could find your way in their belief system to the uh, the underworld where they're in Hades or Sheol where the gods ruled and that you were either going to be roaming as a demon spirit looking for a place to rest as in possession or into an animal to possess so that you could um, interact in the world and not be continually have to be in motion or you're going to go to the abyss you're going to go to the sides of the abyss as ezekiel 32 talks about the terrible ones who are called the strong ones which are the stout ones as you take that back into into hebrew to as az and azaz which is the root word for the base part of the compounded word azazel no coincidence there but that's another rabbit hole we won't go down today We're going to try and stay on on track here. So these were giants that um, were afraid of being beheaded. And so uh, David takes the head. So not only is it ensuring he's dead, but it's also striking at the consciousness, striking at the fears of the giants that this could happen to them. And there would be nothing that they could do about it because God was with David that day, just as he was with Israel many times before and gave them whoopings that you would make you wonder why they would ever go back against Israel again. But they did. And I want to talk a little bit about the slingers here. Um, Like, part of what secularism and poly polytheism likes to do is they like to demean biblical stories and say they're fables, they're embellished, they're not accurate, they're just making things up to make their heroes more um, hero-like, or what they're really saying, more Nephilim or Rephaim-like when they use the word hero, just as the Greek heroes like the Philistines, like the Cherithi theme, like the Pellethi uh, like the Kaftarim, all part of the Philistine Empire, were Greeks, they were heroes, hero warriors, just as Hercules, son of Zeus, and a human female was a Nephilim, or probably with Zeus, a Rephaim, because that would be after the flood. So this is common understanding. And these slingers weren't just, you know, like some sort of child's toy with their sling. In fact, the Benjamites were famous for their left-handed slingers and biblically they were told that they could sling and hit a hair uh, hit hit a hair and split that hair that's how accurate they were and slingers were part of most all of the ancient armies Egypt Assyria later with Greek and Rome and they were very accurate and they could do more damage with uh, the power and the momentum of a rock or a smooth stone. And that they also used smooth stones in those armies because they would fly better and more accurately as opposed to a sharper edge one that would do more damage, but they needed to be accurate. And so the slingers were more accurate, and they would select smooth stones, and they were accurate up to 200 yards. So two football fields they could kill you with and be accurate enough to put it in your forehead. And that's why David didn't have to get close to Goliath because he was well-trained with the sling, as as many Israelites were. And David would have Israelite slingers as part of his army when he becomes king because there were such deadly weapons. And so... When the Philistines saw what had happened, they fled. They panicked. One would think that they would say, okay, that's just one, or we'll send other warriors, or we'll attack Israel. We're not going to take this as an insult. We are going to not surrender. We are not going to become vassals. We are going to attack Israel. They didn't they have seen the power of God many times before, and they would see it again in David's time, and so they fled in terror, and they ran back to uh, Gath and Escalon, and as they went, they were slain all the way, they were so panic-stricken, so one might also deduce that uh, just as in the time of Joshua, he would... God would discombobulate the armies Israel was up against. This may have been going on that time as well because they slew them all the way back to their city fortresses and they laid one of the most significant punishments in war on the Philistines that they had ever seen. And this was a day that David was still a teenager and David was not yet king. And so David was now going to be uh, a rival of Saul throughout the many years that Saul was going to carry on uh, going forward. And so there would be a a time before uh, David would be uh, made king. And in that time, interestingly enough, Ashish, the king of Gath, will take David in. One suspects there may be a small bit of uh, respect and appreciation for making the job available for him to be crowned king, and he takes them in, and Ashish is wanting to hire David as a mercenary, once he gets over the fears of whether or not he should do this or not, uh, because of David and his mighty men that he has uh, trained up and that were with him and so this is the same ashish or perhaps uh, there's another ashish uh, that was in between it could have been a patronymic title like a gag but we don't seem to get told that in the Bible so my sort of understanding is it would be the same king but certainly answers why you have this relationship when David is running from uh, David is running from Saul in fear of his life that he might go to Ashish of Gath to to be hired as a mercenary until the time of the war where Saul is going to be killed by the the Philistines. And so this is a war that is being fought under the king's edict that we've talked about and the going to war act. Uh, So as as part of the king edict, which King Saul was under, and he had already violated in the Amalekite war for not killing a gag and wiping out all of the Amalekites, he was clearly told that, you know, when, uh, and understood and accepting as a king that when the Israelites had entered the land and they had settled and they had rested and they came and said, let us make a king over all of over us like the nations around us that Israel was instructed to appoint over a king the Lord chooses and so you have the King Edict that is going to be a king that is to hold up the Holy Covenant and the instructions that are provided in the time of Joshua and Moses in the time of the Accepting and the swearing to the holy covenant is, is that as in deuteronomy uh, 7 israel is to drive out their nations and when they take on a king they are to take up and finish up what the israelites did not do in the time of joshua or the time of the judges and not to look on them with pity and do not serve their gods and we get several references to the uh, the covenants of war that Israel is told to carry out, lest the nations to do to Israel what God is telling them to do to them so that they can cleanse the land of the covenant and that they can create a place where God will dwell among them in a temple. And so whether or not it's in Deuteronomy 20 or Numbers 33, you get the details of the going-to-war edict and the the driving-out-the-nations edict and that the king was obligated to fulfill that covenant, unlike the judges. They were obligated by the holy covenant, by kingship, to do so. And so when we look at this whole account, David was not a priest-like king at the time of killing Goliath or afterwards. He was a warrior king. And we should not apologize for what David did. He was doing what God had asked him to do, what needed to be done, so the Messiah could come and save all who choose to accept Jesus and God. And so God selected David for what was in his heart, that he would follow God's instructions and holy covenant, Because he sought after God with all of his heart. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't the Messiah. But he was the warrior aspect as an allegory of the Messiah. And he finished off the driving out of the nations out of the covenant land. And he used the going to war act and the driving out of the nations edict and did that to the letter of the covenant. And it was David who completed these covenant obligations, not King Saul. And by doing so, he earned the right to set up a dynastic king that Jesus would be a descendant thereof. And David is the one who took Jerusalem right after being crowned king in Hebron in Kiriath Arba, home of the Anakim in the time of the conquest of the covenant land. And But he wasn't permitted to build the temple, because David was the warrior king. Solomon was permitted to build the temple, and he was the priest-king aspect. So you have these first two kings of the dynast, dynastic line. None of them, either one of them were not perfect. But they did withhold within them the warrior aspect of the Messiah, In the priest king aspect of Jerusalem of Salem, just as um, a Melchizedek Abraham as the king of Salem and the king of righteousness and sort of the uh, pre-Jesus, the word making himself flesh but just as a temporary basis and not becoming sort of fully human as what was prepared for him by the Holy spirit within Mary so that he could atone for the sins of the world as the creator of all things at God's command. And so all of this, even with the Melchizedek blessing of Abraham to create the Israelite nation is just all part of the same unfolding of events that God and Jesus had foresaw but as Alpha Omega and permitting free choice they still knew what the outcomes were going to be and that this was the way that God through Jesus was going to bring about the resolution to the angelic rebellion and we saw it in a small sort of microcosm that day um, at Shoko and we will see the warrior aspect of this again in the time of the end time in the time of the war of armageddon when jesus comes back and destroys the descendants of the giants the royals the princes the the mighty ones of the earth and even though that's written in greek you don't have that direct link to gibberim and raphaim the language and i talk about this in my new book extensively is talking about these royal descendants are the mighty gibbereen the mighty raphaim and then you're going to see the priest aspect immediately thereafter and he's going to form the the perpetual ongoing melchizedek order that he sits over and as the king of salem and of jerusalem that begins in the millennium so again all things Talked about in the Bible the details are important they're there to help us to prepare and to understand the times and to understand that as Christians we will all go through tribulation and that we will not go through the wrath but we will go through tribulation so we need to be prepared for that just as all peoples in the past and the people of the early church went through tribulation and tribulation is coming And so we need to understand prehistory so that we can understand what's taking place today and how we can help others and prepare for what's coming because there's going to be lots of tribulation before the last seven years. And we're starting to see that heat up on the stage today. So that concludes my presentation of the David and Goliath story, but it's just one of my favorites because it just holds so much imagery and symbology of what the whole world is about. And it also gives us a similar kind of start and finish to it. And so it's just one of those things that we should not let seculars and polytheists say that David wasn't who he said he was and Goliath wasn't who the Bible said he was. He was a giant, giant surreal Giants are part of the royal bloodlines. They are part of the bloodlines that are part of the visible ones of the organizational structure of this earth that report to the invisible ones. We fight against both.
2: Praise God. And um, real quick, um, Gary, would you share again uh, w- where people can go to get you know, to, to get the website and be uh, and, and able to harvest more information about the things that you shared with us tonight?
3: Absolutely. And uh, so I have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters on my website for the first book, and I'll be marketing uh my book off of that website as well, as well as through places like Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com and Kindle and things like that. And if you go to the Genesis6Conspiracy.com, that's Genesis 6 with the number 6conspiracy.com, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, or to get a copy of my book or to get a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters. So that excerpt is on on the website and you can hit the contact the author button to get a hold of me or you can link over in, to the buy now page, get a signed copy or over to Kindle or over to get a digital or over to barnesandnoble.com, amazon.ca and amazon.com. So lots of ways to be able to get a hold of the book and find a little bit more about what's written in the book. And I think just going through that table of contents is probably going to raise your curiosity.
2: <laughs> That's to say the least praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So again, thank you very much, brother Gary, for joining us once again, uh, a favorite of uh, the listeners always. And um, God bless you and have a really super anointed and happy new year. Uh, you and your family. You uh, We really appreciate you joining us uh, and sharing these insights because they are deep and they are very relevant to the days that we're in right now. So God bless you all. Thank you all for joining us. It's Sunday, January the 1st of 2023. Ah. (laughs) Here we go. Anyway, we'll see you this Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m., Lord willing. And thanks again, Brother Gary. God bless you.
3: Clouds, for they shall see my glory.